Good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn to the book of Colossians? This morning we're going to be starting there. It's not the only place we'll be, but it's a starting point for us. As we continue on in our series, listing out and working through the mission and vision uh, of Remedy Church, going into detail, we continue in, in the area this morning of the fact that we are called to be a going church, a going people. Of last week, talking about God's heart for the lost and the fact that in that passage, God calls us to pray. Um, God, we are told to pray that the Lord will send workers into the harvest. And so now we want to turn our attention to specifically that, that we are called in the context of being a going people to be praying for the lost. So I'm in Colossians chapter 4. And I'm going to be reading from the ES Standard Version starting at verse 2. If you would stand with me, please, to honor the reading of God's Word. Paul writes this as part of his conclusions and further instructions. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated, and if you would pray with me. Father, this morning, uh, as it is written, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, pray that you would you would give me the words to say and that you would speak first and foremost to me and then to everybody else who is here. Um, the message that you would have us gather about being a people of prayer and specifically prayer that you would draw lost people to yourself. Ultimately, we know that the battle isn't won by our actions. It's won through the power of your spirit the way you move in people's hearts and the way you empower us to do the work that you've called us to carry out. So please, Lord, teach us this morning and encourage us this morning to be a people of prayer for those who need you, that Jesus Christ would be worshiped among the nations and among our friends and neighbors, that he would be honored and worshiped as he deserves, for it's in his name we come. Amen. One of my seminary professors, uh, Dr. Douglas Kelly, um, taught primarily, uh, while I was there anyway, he, he taught primarily systematic theology. And, um, and he was a brilliant man, incredibly articulate, um, incredibly thoughtful, wrote multiple books. And yet, one of the things that he consistently most focused on when it came to, to us was not just the stuff that he taught us in those classes, but a devotion to prayer. He would gather um, as many students as wanted to come in his office uh, repeatedly um, throughout the course of the week. And I, I went to a, a predominantly Presbyterian seminary, Reformed Theological Seminary. So Dr. Kelly is a diehard Calvinist conv convinced thoroughly of the absolute sovereignty of God. And yet, he made a point 
every single time we wrapped our prayer time together. And when the last person prayed in the name of Jesus and said amen, he would look up around the, the group that was gathered there and he would say, gentlemen, I never want you to forget, prayer changes things. That's a powerful statement. We know that God is absolutely in control, and yet we are consistently taught that we are to pray, not just because it's a command, but because God responds to it. It is a, a wonder that he does, that he listens to us, and yet it's something that we're very clearly taught. And in the context of an intercede on his behalf so that the message of the gospel would go forward. So this morning we're going to dig into a few of the, the things that he references here as kind of guideposts for us, reminders for us about how to conduct our prayer life when we're praying for lost people. The first thing I want to look at is the fact that he, he encourages us, he calls the Colossian church and through them, us, all believers, to be persistent in our prayer for the lost. He says at the very beginning, to be steadfast, to be steadfast. And it goes with the, the fact that he says to be, to be always watching. It's part of our watchful life that we are aware of the world around us and we are crying out to God, but that we are to remain steadfast in prayer, never giving up. That's the message, that we are never giving up in prayer. One of the things that I love about this is, again, that we, we can be steadfast because of one true and certain thing is that God listens to our prayers and he answers them. He responds to them. And it's woven throughout the fabric of Scripture. In fact, one of the most challenging things about working through passages to, to cover this topic is that you don't have a lot of direct specific prayers recorded in Scripture where Paul is, or Peter or any of the disciples is specifically praying for lost people. Not, not in so many words. It's referenced a lot. Paul talks about in, in Romans how he desires the lost of Israel to come to faith so urgently and so urgently, so earnestly that he would even be willing to condemn to be condemned to hell himself if that meant more of them would come to faith. There's other places where it talks about the fact that they were praying, but we don't have record of, of a lot of the specific prayers that were prayed. But we know it's woven throughout the course of Scripture. And always because the confidence is that God is listening. We have we have tons of messages throughout the pages of the Word. And so I'm going to bounce around to a few of these because every time we cover one of these points, one of the things that I want to, us to remember is that God hears and responds and we can be confident of this. So the first thing that I wanted to look at is in, in terms of persistency in prayer is that God points out through Jesus' own teachings that we can trust that God listens to us if we are persistent and faithful in our prayer life. In Luke chapter 18, he covers this very well. He tells a parable about a certain widow who was going to a judge seeking help in her case. And the judge is unjust. 
says there was a certain judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long? Speedily in this context is in God's time frame, not necessarily ours. But the point is, he, makes the, he says that God is far better than this unrighteous judge. And if the unrighteous judge will listen to, his, will listen to the widow's claim, then how much more will God Listen to ours. Listen to our requests. But even beyond that, I intentionally left out the first verse. Because if you needed it more explicitly stated, it says in verse 1, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. God says, pray. Cry out to me with your requests. Bring your concerns I will hear them. I will answer them. So as you think about lost people, be confident that God responds. And within that, I also think that one of the reasons why God asks us to be persistent in our prayer life is so that it, it builds that trust in the waiting. We're called to sit in the circumstances that have brought us here. In this case, the people who you know or who are on your heart who need to meet Jesus and to enter into that place where you are calling out to God, you're not yet seeing the fruit, but you are still crying out to him, believing that he will answer your prayer. We're called to live in this tension where we sit in the need, and it's not an easy place for us to be, is it? It's hard to pray and not receive the answer that we want. And it's hard to, to have our hearts beat for someone else's salvation and not yet see it come to pass. It's hard to be close to them and be in the middle of their lives and continually see them not accepting but instead pushing God away. It is a difficult tension. But I think that is one of the, one of the reasons why we're called to persistent prayer is that it gives God the opportunity not just to work in them, but it gives God the opportunity to use that prayer life to work in us, to stand in the middle of the need, to live in the presence of that need. And it does a few different things. In the circumstances of our persistent prayer, just like last week, we talked about God's heart for lost people. The more we spend time in that prayer, it encourages us to continue to see them, to continue to feel their lostness, to continue to be torn in the same way that God is grieved over the lost. When we begin to reflect him, it causes, it causes us, it forces us in a sense, really, to build a confidence that says, I will believe you even when I can't see the end. Even as the, the prophet says, even if there's no crops in the barn, even if there's no cows in the stalls, like everything falls apart, I will still trust you. Um, 
it, it works in us. So God calling us to prayer is about God working in other people. We are asking and expecting him to do that, but it also has a reflexive action of, of working in us too. It doesn't just stop with persistent prayer. Of course, he goes on, and Paul is giving specific things that he wants them to pray for. He asks that they will, that they will pray for an open door for the gospel. In fact, it literally says that pray for the door of the word. That's what he calls them to, is to pray for the door of the word, that the message of the gospel itself will be an opportunity, will be an opportunity that is fully presented for him to interact with other people around him. Now, this is a powerful message that God doesn't just expect us to step out, but that he calls us to be looking for, and as we talked about last week, to be seeking out opportunities to reach people with the message of the gospel. But that through that, even a few weeks ago, as Scott mentioned, that through that, all of this work has to be empowered by the Spirit. And so we are crying out to God. We, know we need for you to put people in front of us who will hear it. At the very beginning of, of this book, where Paul is writing to the Colossians, he's talking about the fact that he's in chains for the gospel. He's currently under uh, some form of house arrest where he, he has guards. So it, it makes sense that part of what he's asking is that God will take the time that he has with um, his guards and essentially make them his captives to be able to talk to, and talk to them about the message of Jesus. And we know that in other circumstances, at the, at the beginning of Philippians in chapter 1, that Paul references this, the time of this house arrest and says that whether, it, whether Philippians is written sooner or later is not entirely sure, but we know that those things were actually coming to pass because he says that all the guards who are around him know that he is here because of Christ, that he is under arrest because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he is continuing to ask that they pray that God will turn these, these interactions into opportunities to share the full message. Again, I want to turn to a different passage as a reminder that the reason why we're called to pray is because we know that God hears and responds to prayer. In Matthew chapter 7, we have another of those passages. He gives an, Jesus gives another parable during his ministry where he shares with them that they should continue to ask and pray for God to work. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives and the one who asks, uh, sorry, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. God has said, has already said, he will respond. That he loves us. He cares about the things that we, we care about. He cares about our concerns and he will respond. And especially that God will give good gifts. That God will give good things. And 
considering what we are praying for, the salvation of the lost, the opportunity to give the gospel to the lost, what better thing can there possibly be? If you ask that God will open the door for opportunities to you, God is not going to look at you and say, no, I don't want you to share my son with anyone else. It's just not going to happen. What they look like, who knows? I have no clue. But we know that if we ask for that, that God will respond. He will answer. And I think this, again, brings us into what God does to us in the tension that brings. Because when we ask for opportunities, then we're left in a place where we have to be expecting that God is going to respond, that he is going to be bringing opportunities into our path. And we have to be ready. We have to be watching. We have to see them. We have to look for them. And then when we see them, we have to move, right? So it causes us to be more attentive to the world around us. It causes us to see the people and the chances that are around us. Susanna, if I may, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the story that you did um, this past week. Last Sunday, Susanna had questions that popped up in her mind um, out of how do I strike up conversations with other people? How do I sort of naturally bridge the gap, the gap and start bringing in gospel conversations? She actually texted me a few of those questions, and I hadn't seen it. My, um, I still had my phone on silent, so I hadn't yet seen it and responded. But wouldn't you know, even before... She had, we'd had a chance to talk. God was already answering her questions and answering her prayer because after service, she went to the gas station. She's in line at the gas station, goes to, goes to pay, and her chip card, initially there was a little technical glitch and it didn't, it didn't work. The person behind her says, is it, are you having trouble paying? Is it, is it working? And everything worked out okay. But the person said, okay, if, if it doesn't work, let me know. I'll, I'll cover it for you which was very gracious. Um, and so after everything went through, Susanna turned around and said th that the reason why she was interested is because of God and what he's done for her. And so she got a living testimony. She got a, a living application story of just how you can use the opportunities that God presents in front of you and bring him into the picture and open the door for conversation. She didn't even need to, to really have the conversation with me before God had already had the chance to show her through what happened around her. And so that, that, is, that is something that I believe we can be confident in doing. As we step out in faith, God's going to put those circumstances in front of you through a person in need, through a person who asks a question, or through a person who responds to a question you ask. And through that opens the door for the gospel to be preached, the message of Jesus. Well, of course, it makes sense then that, that Paul immediately transitions from that prayer request, that God would present opportunities, to then saying, okay, if God does present, if and when God does present opportunities, then I need you to also be praying that God will allow me to speak clearly. He says that he, wants, he needs to speak clearly the mystery right? To testify to who Christ is by preaching clearly the mystery. He says, as I should. Well, if there's any question, 
he opens the book of Colossians by talking to them about the mystery. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. And again, if there's any need for clarification, do you remember the Christological unity verse that we were reading over the last few months? It's the passage that immediately precedes this. It's the Christ hymn. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, continues on, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So really, without them even necessarily realizing it initially, he has explained the mystery of Christ to them already and then declares that that's the purpose that he was given. So now in chapter 4, when he's saying that I want to be able to explain the mystery, I need to be able to speak it clearly, we know what he's talking about. There's, there's no question what the mystery is. It is Christ crucified and risen again for us, to redeem us. Sins forgiven, washed clean, because his blood takes the place of our blood before a holy God. And so he wants to explain it clearly. And again, I want to remind you, for those of you who had those kind of questions that we talked about last week about what are some of the barriers to reaching, reaching out with the gospel? Questions like, how do I explain, you know, can I explain it clearly? Am I going to say the wrong thing? Yes, there is preparation that we need to do. Yes, there is work that we need to do to learn how to share the gospel effectively. But at the end of the day, what we should have confidence is the fact that if this is God's message, that God will stand behind it and will empower us to do what he has asked. In Luke chapter 12, we have one of those places explained again very clearly. Jesus talking about the call to acknowledge himself, to acknowledge Jesus before men, and specifically in the context of challenge, says that we do not have to be afraid of them 
It says, when they bring you, in verse 11, when they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. God has said he will give us the words that we need when the time arises and that we can depend on that. If there's any question about that being true, then the message again that Scott preached a few weeks ago answers that where he talks about he talks about the way Jesus told them to wait and pray until the Holy Spirit came upon them and that then they would have a spirit empowered witness. Now if you jump off from there and then just read through the next few chapters, so just if you have the chance, just speed read as it were from Acts 1 to Acts 4. And you will have no question, you should have no question out of it, that God empowered and gave the message that he wanted presented to the apostles as they witnessed. You have the great sermon in Acts chapter 2, where Peter, filled with the Spirit, goes out and announces to everybody who's there at Pentecost um, the message of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen again. And it keeps going on over and over again. We see it. So in chapter 3, they go out and they heal. Um, the, God uses them to heal a lame beggar. And when challenged, they stand up and they again share the gospel. They're able to do this. Keep in mind, again, at the forefront of all three of these instances, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, is Peter. Those of you who are believers in this room, who have spent time studying the Bible, does articulate and reasoned characterize what you know of Peter from the Gospels? It doesn't. I mean, passionate? Sure. No doubt about that. You know, impulsive? Yeah, definitely. But articulate and reasoned is not his thing. And yet, in chapter 4 I'll use especially, when they're challenged with the fact that they came and they healed the lame man and they're proclaiming Jesus through this. In chapter 4, Peter stands up and says, in verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man. By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Again, that's an incredible message. And you, you can't possibly look at that and go, oh yeah, that's all Peter. No, that's, that's the Holy Spirit as he promised, speaking through Peter. Eventually, what happens is the rulers go, okay, because of how much the people are excited by them, we, we, can't, you know, we can't harm them too much. So instead, they're going to threaten them, and they're going to send them away. And they go back in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, through whom the mouth, sorry, through the mouth of our David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and whatever your plan had predestined to take place. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God boldly. You see an, an immediate need and an immediate response over and over and over again. We can be confident that the message that God wants proclaimed, and there's no question, he wants the message of Christ proclaimed, that he's going to give us the words to say when we have the opportunity to say something. Again, I think it also gives us, it gives us an encouragement as we work through this prayer time, as we are praying for God to help us to speak clearly. It causes us to live in the message of the gospel. It causes us to saturate ourselves in the word of Christ himself so that as we are praying, we are distilling the message. We are distilling the reminders of what it takes so that when the opportunities present themselves, when we are called to speak, it is fresh on our minds. So our prayer life actually strengthens the quality of our witness, not just the opportunity of our witness. So we can... We can pray persistently. We can pray for God to give us opportunities. We can pray that God will give us the ability to share the message well. You notice what's missing? Anybody see what's missing in here? He never mentions pray that people will accept. Does that seem strange? Because it did to me the first time. It's just, wow. It's, it's amazing that he asks for prayer, but he doesn't ask for prayer that, that people will accept. And I think the reason is simply that, one, he knows that he's not in charge of any of that. He has, he has no, in a sense, it's not that he has no stake, but he has no power in whether they accept. He does have agency and whether he prays consistently, he does have agency, and whether he looks for and sees and takes opportunities, he does have some agency, some measure of agency, and whether he communicates what God has given him to say, but he has no control whatsoever over whether the person responds in faith to Christ. That's not what we are called to do. It's not saying that we shouldn't pray for people to come to faith but I think it's a pointed tool for us of reminding us that, that that's not our responsibility is whether or not they accept the message. I still, I still think very true, especially, I can't tell you how many, if we are doing this faithfully, I can't tell you how many, and I can't tell you which individual ones or when, but I can tell you because we don't have to, he doesn't have to specifically mention it because there's a, there is an assumption that people will respond in faith. Again, last week when we covered Matthew chapter 9, pray to the Lord of the harvest. And the implication is because there is a harvest coming. 
All it is waiting for is people following the Spirit of God to step out into the field and reap it. Again, we don't know how many, don't know which ones, but God is at work. And so we can be confident that when we pray to him, as we pray to him, that he is going to respond. Last week when we covered the, talked about God's heart for the lost, I used the image of a target, um, an archery target. And, um, and I want to go back to that idea. Um, so if you look at the target, and remember that uh, if you weren't here, then I'll go back through it. So if you look at the centermost area of the target, it covers those who are your family, the yellow areas of your family. If you look to, to the next concentric rings out, you would look at things like friends. If you go further out to those who are neighbors and coworkers, further out acquaintances, strangers, and then even at the, at the widest levels, the people who we pray for who I may never meet, I may never have direct contact with, but I know about them I know other people are, are working to serve them with the gospel, so I can pray for them. It's, it's a point of indirect contact where I'm interceding on behalf of them that they will receive the gospel through someone else. All of those people that we can be praying for, all of that time, there is, there's no shortage of how many we, and how much time we can devote to prayer with these people. So I would ask, has the Lord in the last week, has the Lord put anybody in particular on your mind? Has he been encouraging you to pray? And have you responded? Have you been faithful in praying for those people? Have you thought any more about it? Or did it kind of, you know, sit in your mind Sunday morning and then get swept away by the course of the week? If it has, then I'd encourage you, revisit those, those questions. Think of those people. Continue to dig into prayer because it matters. Uh, at this point, if, if Casey, if you would come up, I wanted to, to close by sharing uh, a testimony. And there have been a few testimonies that, that we actually heard Sunday night at Corporate Prayer talking about how God has worked in, dif in different places. But this was one that didn't get to be shared. So I wanted to bring Casey up because this has, um, this has particular traction in what we're talking about. And the way prayer has been effective and useful in bringing somebody to faith. Um, Casey, can you just share a little bit how it was that your, you and your community group came to be praying for your coworker, Courtney? Um, yes, yeah, so we as a community group a few years ago, I think 2019 sometime, um, we had started to make a, a list of names of people that were in our lives that we wanted. One person who we could be persistently praying for, and so I had a co-worker, Courtney. We had just started working at the hospital together, and um, she was the person that came to mind as somebody who didn't know Jesus and hadn't put her faith in him as Savior, and so we we're consistently praying for Courtney, um, starting, I guess, sometime in 2019. Okay. How long were you praying before God broke through? I know it was a process. Yeah, probably we started praying whenever we started working together, and she, you know, had become my friend um, just through spending every day together at work, and um, our community group had been praying for conversations just that I would be able to share with her about 
Jesus and how he um, had saved me and how he was working in my life. And probably a year of praying um, just for opportunities for me and for wisdom with my words and boldness to speak because it was just really nerve-wracking. I'm sure like all of you can relate to, to to share and be bold in, um, in my faith and sharing with her. And so probably for a year we were praying for for her to be saved. Um, and actually we, so Courtney lived in Charlotte um, and she was commuting to Rock Hill for work. And so we were praying um, that she would be saved and we were praying um, that she would come to know the gospel. And Mason and I had really close friends that planted a church in Charlotte. And so we were able to connect her with that church. Um, she started meeting with my friend. She started going um, to their church in Charlotte and then going to community group. And so just really cool to see God provide, um, you know, means for me to have open conversations with her at work and then to work on her heart to draw her to going to church and being involved in community group. And she um, put her faith in Jesus through, through all of these little baby steps that we got to see firsthand. She, um, she was baptized. She's a member of that church. And so we were really blessed as a community group and super encouraged to see, you know, from praying for her over a couple years, um, see her become a baptized believer. And she was actually dating somebody at the time who Mm -hmm. was not a Christian. And through all of this, he actually has since, he was an atheist and admittedly so, and he um, has also put his faith in Jesus and is attending and I think becoming a member at that church. So just like over the span of a few years, Courtney is now, you know, a really close friend of mine. Um, She and actually her boyfriend are now engaged, getting married in May. So just like really, really cool that I got to see firsthand and then share with our community group just continued encouragement of God working, using our prayers, um, and then just connections that he'd already ordained, you know, before time that that she would come and now her boyfriend, fiance, would come to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing that she didn't talk about, um, uh, I had the opportunity to hear a, a message from their pastor who um, read a, a letter that Courtney wrote about her conversion experience. Um, and Casey talked a very little bit about her involvement. But what she didn't say is that Courtney recounts that out of everything, and there, there were a lot, she admits that there were a lot of things, but out of, out of everything, the ways that God was drawing her, Casey was instrumental within that that God used her, the fact that, that she was praying and looking for opportunities, that, and they, that they continued to put Casey in front of her to have conversations, and then not only to just have conversations, but then the character of her life, her positivity, her love for other people, that, she, that God used that to keep provoking, that there was something different in Casey that she didn't have, that Courtney didn't have. And then um, to the extent that when COVID hit and her roommate at the time got sick, that you offered and, and lived with you, which I'm sure, right, and I'm sure, and she was blown away. This, this person who's just a coworker just said, come live with me and, until you can get back into your own apartment, um, blew her away. And so you've, the, the things that I'm talking about this morning, you have lived out, and God has used it to bring another member into the kingdom and then through her to bring somebody else. And 
and the list goes on, the chain goes on. So thank you for what God's done. And, and to all of your community group, to all the Kittner community group too, awesome that God has shown his power in you guys' lives. Thanks, Casey. It's worthwhile to clap, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it's honestly, there is nothing I can say after that to top that. If you're struggling with the concept of prayer, that should light a fire to, to say, I don't want to give up. So let's just pray right now that God will endeavor uh, or will help us to, to do that. Father, thank you so much that we are not alone in this, that you didn't give us a mission and then step back and say, do it, because we couldn't. Thank you instead that you empower us and you go with us, that you remain the God who tabernacles with us, and that as you call us to, to pray for the lost, you're there with us, that you will speak to us as we're praying, that you will give us insight, that you will give us hope, that you will give us ideas, you will give us opportunities, you will give us the message to share, and most importantly, that you will give us yourself. And we pray that, and we trust, as well as pray, that through us, you will give yourself to the people we contact, to the people we share the gospel with. It's what we want. It's what we desperately want to be a part of. And I know, Lord, that in this world, the the hustle and bustle, the, the manyness and muchness in this world can crowd out the deeper and more important things. Help us, Lord. Help us to see the value and the, the incredible worth beyond measure of you and of your ministry. Use us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we want to transition to uh, the taking of